Welcome to the cartoonist kayfabe courtroom session. <laughs> My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Uh, we're going to get back into part two of the Neil Gaiman, uh, Todd McFarlane deposition, but let's handle a little business ahead of time. What do you got, Jimmy? I have the Plain Janes, the perfect gift in this holiday season for the young adult reader in your life. You can get this in bookstores, comic book stores, online, wherever you buy books. 500 pages of high school artists uh, doing public art in their suburbs and basically bringing chaos to their suburbs to try to make things a little bit more exciting. But this is in print and available in paperback and hardcover, again, wherever you buy books. Perfect for the upcoming holiday season. You can also join me on patreon.com slash jimrug, where you can download a dozen out-of-print zines and mini-comics. You can see my original art scripts, process how I make the comics I make, all of that and more at patreon.com slash jimrug. Red Room, the anti-social network on the stands right at this moment, man. Uh, murder on the dark web for fun and profit. Not quite, not quite as thick as Jimmy's book, but it'll get there. You know, we don't have to have that length, length and girth uh, <laughs> argument on the camera right at this moment. You know what I'm saying, man? But uh, this is on the stands. Amazon bought half the print run. There are freaking supply chain issues that are preventing paper from getting to to. Uh, publishers to printers and these things are going quick just had a signing yesterday sold hundreds of copies at a store in pittsburgh so if that's going down you know other stores are selling this stuff out uh these are going fast man uh for the sicko in your holiday uh gift <laughs> buying guide you want to hook them up with uh the anti-social network and we are uh continuing the series you see behind me man there's that mask for the pumpkins we're going to start putting out the Red Room Trigger Warnings miniseries come uh, December. So order that from your local comic shop as well. Uh, going to be another four-issue blast with all sorts of things that are very specific to the issues. Got to thank the audience for pumping those numbers up, man, and, and ordering these comics in a heavy way. Uh, every issue just gets better and better in terms of my comfort with the comic and the craft and skill set involved man uh go to the links in my link tree in the description below this video to uh check that stuff out jimmy a lot to unpack here today uh we were thinking that uh talking this deposition would be a successful thing for the cartoonist kayfabe channel we were 100 percent right we're gonna keep this uh we're gonna keep this train rolling and there is a lot of stuff to unpack uh in in from last week to decompress from and we got to jump right into things all over again yeah many thanks to the kayfabers a lot of comments on last week's episode we came across this stuff i don't know a year ago or something in, in the course of doing some research for a wizard episode and we're just kind of mesmerized by these depositions and uh, i'm excited to share them with the audience want to want to do a shout out to daniel best a few people pointed out his book todd mcfarland versus the world he had done a lot of the research and put this stuff together um that is the source for our readings and i didn't realize these depositions aren't easy to come by you have to kind of like file requests for them and stuff so he put in some legwork to get this together and, and available to the public and uh you know want to point that out there's a slight oversight on that first recording we're we're busy fellas right so we might not have uh the chance to do that kind of legwork uh, to to uncover uh, other depositions. Ask not what Cartoonist Kayfabe can do for you. Ask what you can do for Cartoonist Kayfabe. If you want to put in that legwork, go to the Pacer website or whatever uh, <laughs> is required to, to make that stuff happen. We're looking for Jack Kirby depositions. We're looking for Joe Simon depositions. Let me see Gary Groth uh, on the record when he's talking about Michael Fleischer or Harlan Ellison. Fuck it. Let me hear Harlan Ellison's stuff. That's a that guy's a wordsmith in the same way that no no Gaiman is, and I bet he has some pretty cutting testi testimony. So let's uh, 
Let's get access to those papers, man. Cartoonist.kfabe at gmail.com is where you could send that stuff. Uh, I'm down but- for all of it. You know, the, the one thing that we didn't mention last week that, that I was thinking about over the week is I wonder, like, uh, Marvel settles with the Kirby family yeah. before it gets to, like, the highest court. I wonder if it's something like this. You know, you look at uh, precedents, right? Like yes. previous court cases and things as to like how a court, a future case may be uh, resolved. And I wonder if Marvel looks at a court case like this and thinks we didn't have contracts in the 60s whenever Kirby's doing this work. Y- you know, who's to say how that shakes out? But it feels very similar in that idea of like there was no contract. These were two creators, you know, making stuff up. And now it's going to go through the court system. That's exactly what you see here with Gaiman and McFarlane. So I wonder if McFarlane, or I mean, if Marvel looked at that in terms of the Kirby settlement and thought, we don't want a judge to decide this. Right. On, uh, you want us to put another zero on the check? <laughs> <laughs> Checking out the video after it was done, edited, and actually not in performance mode, but in actual listening mode. Uh, I'm listening to the words you're saying, you know, in the 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 guys as the Neil Gaiman testimony. This is a novelist. This is a long-standing comic book writer. This is a wordsmith. This is a guy who knows his way around the English language, and he is whether they know it or not, whether he knows it or not. You know, it could be nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is weaving a narrative on the stands, and uh, I have knucklehead friends. I have uh, been in the presence of uh, people who had to prepare themselves to take the stand. Mm -hmm. I've been there, man. He's very prepared. Mm -hmm. And the things that he's saying, he's he's got little prelude elements on the stand uh, that are going to bear more fruit, I imagine, as we get it further into the deposition. Uh, One of the pieces I'm thinking about is how... He receives a $10,000 check from Terry Fitzgerald, talks about it on the stand, and he makes it a point to say that he gives 10% to his agent, and the agent is like, where's the contract for this? Where does this come from? What he's saying on the stand is, you see, I'm a good guy. I didn't have to give my agent 10% of this money because they didn't do anything specific to work for it, but they're my agent. And the contract I signed with them is 10%. I didn't have to do it, but I did it because they're my agent. You know, like he's peppering that stuff in there, man. It's He's running game. It's very fun, too. Like, this is something I picked up on just from all the comments is uh, I didn't think of that when I was reading it. You know, it's kind of straightforward. And I'm used to reading like a comics journal interview. To me, this is a you know a text interview I've read a thousand of. But whenever you start think, looking at it through that lens, you do see these pieces and yeah. you do get that performance piece. And it reminds me so much of old wrestlers, totally. you know, that are always working on their character and their promo. Even if it's a, uh, you know, a shoot interview, they're still spinning those yarns. And that's what you get here. But there was a lot of uh, comments, I think, in support of Todd McFarlane. Like, why is this happening? You kind of knew what you were getting into. And I think we're going to answer some of why is that happening today as we get into like Miracle Man stuff. But that's what these court cases are. You know, I remember watching the Staircase documentary, and after each episode, my uh, allegiance would switch. You know, it's good storytelling, right? You're going, you're, you get a little bit more information, and now you're convinced they're guilty. Get a little bit more, now you're convinced they're innocent. And it's kind of like, that's what I'm feeling in, these de- in this deposition reading through it, where it's easy to see both sides. It's not like this is cut and dried. Um, you know, if it was, maybe you don't have to go to court o- over it. Yeah. But this is just, 
it's all gray area that you're trying to sort through and, and figure out not just right and wrong, but the legal side of it, and you need, which isn't always right and wrong, you know? And you need a judge to, to decide, decide these things sometimes. Uh, it just so happens that I think there might have been three court cases over, you know, 15 years or something like that. And I think, yeah, No Gaming came out on the positive end of each of those, uh, which ends up with, you know, Angela at Marvel, Miracle Man at Marvel. But <laughs> but now, like, I drew a Miracle Man cover that that had to be leaked because it's not going to see print anytime soon because there, it turns out, like, at the last minute, little old Mick Anglo still alive. <laughs> so it's like... He's the one that owns Miracle Man. Like, there's, there's, that is the messiest character. Uh, I don't know, Jimmy. If you got more to say, say it. Uh, if not, let's launch into things, man. Because I think that this uh, has has the legs to be a regular series. A lot of people were super into it. I was super into I'm it. I'm loving it. Upon reread, I'm psyched to get it through gaming and get into McFarlane. Yes, I'm even happy to get Larry Martyr's uh, deposition on here. So I, I dig all of it. Like all the stuff I've read so far of, of this, it's enthralling and it's fun to see these guys as a little bit of characters, you know, on the stand doing, doing, being themselves. And um, right before we get into this, Ed, I'm just going to say that the document that I have, it has a, a couple of pieces of, um, I guess, evidence or something that was entered in. One is a message from the trustees of Eclipse Comics to Terry Fitzgerald, who I think was like president or something of Todd McFarlane Productions at that time. And it's talking about McFarlane, Eclipse goes bankrupt. McFarlane buys Eclipse for $25,000. And so the letter is kind of about what is owned in those assets, because some of that stuff is creator owned. And they, the letter says, you know, it's up to you to do your due diligence. We'll tell you whatever we, we know or whatever, uh, you know, contracts we have. But some of this stuff you're going to have to track down. And so the next piece, I believe, is an excerpt from the Comics Journal talking about McFarlane buying Eclipse and issues over Miracle Man ownership. Yeah. You know, Alan Moore had a piece that he transferred to Neil Gaiman. As you said, uh, McAngelo, um, you know, one of the original creators, has a piece in it. It's extremely difficult to figure out who owns what when it comes to Miracle Man. And McFarlane is buying this and did some Miracle Man stuff. Uh, you know, I think made a toy, maybe made a uh, comics appearance or two. So things are about to get, uh, the, the plot thickens, uh, as they say, Ed. So once again, you know, want to give uh, Daniel Best a shout out for putting this document together. Again, you can find it in the book, Todd McFarlane versus the World, which I also think includes Tony Twist stuff. Oh, so man. <laughs> McFarlane going through a lot of court cases at this time. Um, but shout outs to Daniel Best for that and uh, and has several of these books. Uh, one on Superman, that uh, a couple of court cases with Superman and uh, Superman creators. So uh, interesting, interesting guy. And uh, I love these people who contribute to the comics history side of this stuff and do the legwork to get these records out in the public where, where they become part of the history. So here's how the game is played for those coming in cold. Uh, I play the role of everybody who's not Neil Gaiman. Uh, Jimmy's going to answer as Neil Gaiman, and uh, we'll rock and roll. Uh, if you didn't see part one, in the description below this video will be a link to the part one uh, deposition part where you, you learn some things about Neil Gaiman. I saw those comments as well. <laughs> Lots <laughs> yes, of them. That's true. <laughs> Ready to go? I am. Mr. Gaiman, before we took a break, we were talking at some length about your agreement with Todd McFarlane that led uh, to your work in issue nine on Spawn. Do you recall that conversation? Yes. And I want to break down and uh, just ask you a couple follow-up questions about what, what you just testified to. First of all, you were having a conversation with Todd McFarlane during this time. 
Did Todd McFarlane explain to you that he was speaking on behalf of a company he had formed? No. Did you ever discuss any corporate structure involved with Todd in Im Image Comics or Todd McFarlane Productions or anything like that? Uh, ever? What time period? That's Mr. Arnston, who I believe is Neil Gaiman's uh, attorney. Uh, question. Uh, he's got a good point. Uh, let him make those objections, even though if you and I think we understand each other, it's important to make sure we do clarify the record. Again, we are talking about the time frame between your meeting Todd McFarlane in Atlanta in the summer of 1992 and the time that Spawn Issue 9 hit the newsstands. He told me that Image Comics was about creator rights, that the analogy that he would use, that DC and Marvel were the plantation owners and they were the slaves who left the plantation and started a free land, that, you know, from the first... He explained that Image would treat me better and treated its creative people better than DC or Marvel ever did. And that, and I remember at one point in there, he even offered me my own Image comic if I wanted one under him. I remember he explained that the five shareholders, or possibly six shareholders, there was one guy who was sort of graying out on the edges, and I don't know if he ever did anything, who left early on. But they could bring comics to the table and they would come out with the Image eye on them, which meant you would sell at least over half a million copies. If I wanted to do one of those, I could just find an artist and go for it. So those were the kind of things that were being said. Did you understand that you were making an agreement <clears throat> with Image Comics uh, when you did Spawn Issue 9? I understood that I was talking to Todd McFarlane, who wanted me to write an issue of his comic, which was being published by Image. I assumed that Todd had an agreement with Image, as he kept telling me, you know, he was part of Image, and the Image Eye was very important to him, the logo. Did Todd ever tell you that he, he had formed a company called Todd McFarlane Productions? Uh, Mr. Arnston, no games lawyer. Again, ever? Question mark. Same period of time we were talking about, uh, Mr. Arnston. Uh, 92, 93 is what we are talking about. Mr. Salish, uh, McFarland's lawyer. Correct. Arnston, Gaiman's lawyer. Up to 93? Question from Todd McFarland's attorney. Let me ask a, queen, a clean question again. Assuming that the same time frame... Uh, we were discussing was 1992, 1993. At any point during that time, did Todd McFarlane tell you he had started a company called Todd McFarlane Productions? No. Phone calls from Todd would begin, hey, this is the Todd Meister, or yo, it's Toddy. Not, this is Todd McFarlane representing Todd McFarlane Productions or similar. I don't remember Todd ever mentioning Todd McFarlane Productions. My understanding was that I was, he, he was the artist, I was the writer, and it was two creative people getting together. Cartoonist Kayfabe conjecture. <laughs> yo, yo, Mr. Best, is there audio recordings of, uh, <laughs> of this deposition? Can I hear Mr. Gaiman say that exact statement? Neil Gaiman is coming to town in May. Neil, come to the Kayfabe compound, read your portion <laughs> of testimony while we pretend to be the lawyers, I got to hear Todd Meister, Toddy Mac. You have to imagine that's him doing his best Todd McFarlane impersonation, right? I'm the Todd Meister. <laughs> All right, man, you ready to go? Yes. All right, back into the game. Who did you understand to be the person or the party that paid you $100,000? Todd. Not Image Comics? Todd was one-fifth of Image Comics. You are aware that people could be one-fifth of a company and one-tenth of another company, question mark? 
Yes, but he was one-fifth of the company that it was coming out. Todd was talking about Image all the time, you know, bringing it out as an Image comic. He was definitely representing himself to me on the phone as somebody to whom the success of Image Comics was absolutely vital. And I knew that my comic was being published by Image Comics. It had the big, the great big Image Eye on the cover. Beyond that, I understand all that. Uh, what I'm really trying to get to is in the complaint that you have filed in this action, you've named Todd McFarlane as an individual, as a defendant. You've named Todd McFarlane Productions Incorporated as a defendant. You've named TMP International Incorporated. You've named McFarlane Worldwide Incorporated. And you've also named Image Comics Incorporated as defendants. Are you aware of that? Conjecture one more time. When you take a look at the very beginning of this document, you see all of these names as being defendants in the case. And you see different like states of headquarters and, and things. Uh, and not, and some of them are not in McFarland's state of residence. And when you see that, you just know that, well, you can imagine that there must be some kind of tax break thing or something in these various states and stuff. It's very interesting. It is interesting. They just had that leak of, uh, like the Panama Papers, but not Panama. I forget where they are. They just came out. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. And one of the places is South Dakota. Because of the way, I guess, they're, you know, some sort of money law is written in that state to, to encourage, I guess, investment or uh, putting money there. Right. So, yeah, definitely these state laws do make a difference. And um, whether it's tax or business reasons, um, you know, there are reasons for picking those states. Not, not accidental that he would be in different states. Yes. All right, back to the game. Yes, I am. One of the claims that you make in your amended complaint in the lawsuit uh, refers to what has been called, excuse me, the 1992 agreement. Uh-huh. Okay. Are you, do you recognize that? No Gaiman's lawyer. Just to interject here, as you know, counsel drafted the complaint. So again, to the extent you were talking about facts and using the complaint as reference for that, that's fine. But it's a legal document. Back to McFarland's lawyer. Absolutely. I understand that. And I'm not going to try to make uh, statements that I'm later going to argue uh, or legal conclusions. If there's anything particularly noteworthy about something you may have uh, used in a heading, I'm simply going to ask you about some facts. You, or together with your counsel, have alleged uh, two agreements that you have with Mr. McFarland and or some of the other defendants, both of which you claim have been breached. And that's the reason for this lawsuit. Is that correct? Or one of the reasons, question mark? It is. Uh, one of the agreements took place in 1992, is that correct? Yes. And one of them took place in 1997, is that correct? Yes. I want to focus right now on what we at least today will hope uh, understand is the 1992 agreement, correct? Yes. And in 1992, the only agreement that you've testified to so far with uh, Todd McFarland is one that led you to writing issue 9 of Spawn, is that correct? Yes. And I'm doing that primarily for purposes of narrowing our discussion to this 1992 agreement. Maybe it's easier if I uh, say regarding the 1992 agreement, we will understand that we what we mean rather than trying to get a particular time frame. Is that okay? That's good. If at some point I use uh, that term and you say, well, I've got to explain it uh, by going forward to 1994, 1995, please, please do so. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Mike. My question is, with whom did you enter into the 1992 agreement? McFor I mean, uh, Neil Gaiman's lawyer. Object to the extent it calls for legal conclusion 
but answer with regard to your understanding, McFarland's lawyer. Certainly. Uh, what is your understanding of who were the parties of the 1992 agreement? Me and Todd. Just Todd McFarlane, the individual? I didn't know. I think that's a legal conclusion. He didn't represent himself to me specifically as I am now talking. When I saw him do his deposition the other day, he would quite frequently say things like, now at that point, I, and I'm speaking here as Todd McFarlane Productions. He didn't do any of that stuff to me on the phone, but the, and I felt that I was talking to somebody who was wearing, in terms of the hats that he was wearing at the time, there was Todd the artist who was going to be drawing my comic. There was Todd, the creator and ongoing controller of Spawn, the comic. And there was definitely Todd as one-fifth of the image partnership. This was being seen. I wasn't just writing a comic for Todd McFarlane. I was writing, it was very important to Todd that I was writing an image comic. That was repeated several times that, you know, he didn't phone and say, I, Todd McFarlane, have been taking hits as a bad writer. In actual fact, by the point that he got, well, I mentioned earlier that he was laughed at for Spider-Man number one. By the time he got to Spawn, he was, you know, approaching competency and, you know, was competent. It was the other guys who were getting, it was Image Comics as a general generality, not Todd, that was getting the shit for bad writing. And I, which was one reason for coming to me, getting one of the four most respected writers in comics at that point to come in and write an issue, have an Image Comic. Conjecture. Gaiman says, wrote my comic. That's, that's a choice. And as an artist... To hear that you're competent stings. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of Bill Murray to, to Chevy Chase on SNL. Medium Medi talent? Me yeah, me <laughs> mediocre. Yeah, the competency. These are all these same words for like, yeah, C I'll, average. I'll give you credit. You got a C average, man. <laughs> you pass, but you're not dazzling anybody. Now, you testified before that at the time you did uh, ag agree to do the writing for Spawn issue number nine, and I want to focus our time now more narrowly in the time that you entered into what we now will call the 1992 agreement. Uh-huh. Do you understand that at some point in time, you and Todd reached an agreement that led to you writing issue nine? Yes. That's what I want to focus on and uh, at that point in time. And I don't know exactly when that is, so you may have to tell me. Okay. Todd phoned me up. Todd gave me a bunch of reasons for writing it. I said I would think about it. Todd phoned me up again. Todd gave me a bunch more reasons for writing it. These would have included, well, these did include at that point, it wasn't treating you better than DC would. That was a little way after. But at that point, it would have been, you know, we will take care of you better than any of the big companies. This is all about creator rights. It's all about creators banding together. You know we have to do this to show and respect. Respect was one of Todd's things that he kept talking about. He specifically mentioned his upsets with Marvel and why he left which is they had foreign reprints of his stuff he didn't get paid for. They do t-shirts that he never got, posters that he never got. He wouldn't, he didn't get a share of. He talked about a character called Venom, who I don't know very much about, and I don't know if it was somebody he created, but he was saying he didn't get a share of the stuff, and over at Image, it wasn't going to be like that. This was about respect, and that I think was the point where I went, I said, yes, I will do it, understanding that this was all about respect. And I remember during that period, I don't remember whether it was after I had agreed or after I had said yes that first time, but before he said the better than DC thing, 
When I had asked for a contract or whether it was even before that, he had Terry Fitzgerald send me the rough draft of his Comics Journal interview. He did this interview with the Comics Journal and sent me a bunch of interviews by Todd in which he was just talking about, you know, the respect that people didn't get in comics and how the end of the day he left Marvel because it got down to Spider-Man t-shirts with his images on and he got nothing. He didn't even get a copy of the t-shirt and that was never going to happen. So it was that kind of... That was, we are talking about a conversation, a 10-year-old conversation here, and several 10-year-old phone conversations, but he was very, he was still very angry about the way that they had been treated at Marvel and was very adamant that Image was not somewhere where people were being treated like that. Does that answer your question? It does. And just so that I can narrow it down uh, so I understand again, and I want to just focus specifically uh, on the point in which uh, time you made the agreement, and I think you've mentioned that it was during the process of Todd's talking to you about his reason for leaving Marvel, his reasons for starting Image Comics uh, with the Image Founding Fathers. Would there have been, I mean, I know asking you is something, but in terms of context here, you know, my agreement was, you know, at the point where I said, yes, I will write an issue for you, you know, there was that as a moment of agreement, but obviously there were things beyond that. I could have handed him an issue and he actually could have gone, you can't use this. We might have ended it at that point or whatever. That's a good point. Let's break it down into two steps here. For me, probably the real moment of, you know, we have separate, because there was no contract, because they declined to send a contract when asked, I felt the agreement was, you know, I'm not sure I could draw a line in the sand and say before this, there was an agreement. After this, there was not an agreement. Through that, you know, the agreement was much more broad and general. Let's see if we could try to do that today a little bit, okay? Uh, and I realize I'm asking you to go back 10 years, but there was a point in time in which you agreed to do the work, correct? Yes. And then there was a point in time where you did the work, correct? Yes. And there was a point in time when Todd accepted your work? Yes. Correct. Uh, and then lastly, there was a point in which Issue 9 was published, was published. And on that time frame, between item number one, uh, you agreeing to do the work, and item number two, when you did the work, you received $10,000 in a check sent with a letter by Terry Fitzgerald, correct? Yes. And then you did the work, correct? Yes. And then you received another $10,000 check upon submission of the work, correct? Yes. And then Todd accepted the work and? Possibly the check was sent for acceptance of the work. And doing the work... Uh, and Todd accepting the work were pretty close in time, correct? Uh, you doing the work and Todd saying great. Yes, there were a couple of other things that were done in that process before we got there. And rather than go into details in those, would they generally be described uh, as somewhat of an editor-writer function? I mean, he may have suggested, oh, uh, what about this? Or uh, you've discussed doing something. Was it, was it that sort of thing that happened uh, between there or... Todd didn't suggest things. Todd kept repeating, hey, if you want, whatever you want to do is fine. Let me ask you this. Uh, did Todd accept the first draft that you sent of the script for issue number nine? Yes. So that's all I'm talking about. Uh, doing the work and Todd accepting the work. So then you received a $10,000 check as part of that uh, as a result of this little transaction. Uh, you doing the work and Todd accepting it, correct? Yes. And then sometime between issue nine being... Between what we have uh, just talked about, you submitting the work, Todd saying great, and issue nine being published uh, in the comic book industry, isn't there a step called solicitation? 
The solicitation of. Yes, there is. But the solicitation was done before that. When would the solicitation have been done? The Prior to uh, you submitting the script, wasn't it? Yes, I got a call from Terry Fitzgerald saying we need something for the solicitation. And I wrote a paragraph for Terry describing that he could put in his solicitation. And I spoke to Todd and told him a little bit about the issue. And based on those conversations with Todd, maybe it was more than one, maybe it was one. And then the paragraph you sent to Terry, it was based on uh, that prior information uh, to you submitting a full script uh, that Todd had to do the solicitation, correct? Yes. And just so we're clear, what do you understand by my use of the term solicitation in this context? In this context, two different things, one of which is soliciting into the trade, soliciting the book to the trade, having something to show them and tell them so that the comic stores could order. And you referred earlier to a point in time in which orders started coming in and it looked like yours is going to be 1.1 million and Alan's was going to be 1.2, etc. Uh, are those orders coming in uh, that you are talking about when you say the solicitation at this context? Would you like a quick 35 seconds on sequencing? Yes. Okay. In order to understand comics, you need to know what that the body of the greater part of what was being sold in is being sold into something called the direct sales market. This is not, it's not newsstand, it's not supermarkets with a stack of comics, it's the dedicated comic stores that are selling to people who are coming in to buy comics. They are buying their comics exclusively through a distributor, and the distributor is buying them non-refundably from a publisher, non-returnably. The typical magazine trade, you send out your magazines, 50% of them will come back. When the direct sales market began, you were selling comics and non-returnably, and you were printing them to order because you gave the distributor your details on your comic. He or it then brings out a catalog. At the time, there were two big distributors, Diamond and Capital, and several smaller ones. These days, it's basically just Diamond. And those phone book-sized catalogs then go out to the comic stores who look through them and go, okay, well, I have got X number of people who buy Sandman, so I will order X number of Sandmans. So in order to do that, you need to have material ready before the comic is, you know, in terms of you may have a three-month production cycle for a comic, but you may need your solicitation information four months before the comic is ready so that it can get printed so that three months before you have that sequence. Given the way that that works, you are printing to order when you print. So that's how, that's how that works, which is why you need something to solicit. Now you are soliciting to the trade at that point. But the trade also is, you know, the comic store owners very well give away, sell, have out there on the front, and so on and so forth, the catalogs from the distributors. They make sure their customers know, hey, you know, I have got this thing coming up in three months' time, or you will get things. It gets even more to the point where if you were doing a lithograph or a statue or something that's going to take longer to produce, you may solicit it in six months ahead of time with information to the store owners that you are only going to be doing it to order so they better let their customers know and get orders from their customers six months ahead of time. Because the store owners, the direct marketing to the dedicated comic stores, they are obviously taking the risk that they will buy uh, too many certain issues because they cannot return it. Is that correct? Exactly. So they need to then go out and solicit orders from their customers. Yes. Okay. And so when you earlier stated that, again, the point in time, we are still talking about sort of four-step process here prior to issue nine being published. Prior to it being written. Okay. 
prior to it being written, the solicitation is done. Yeah. And as a result of the solicitation, Todd at some point is able to predict that the orders are going to be around 1.1 million of this comic. Is that correct? Yes, because they need the, you know, they need the numbers in before they get the book printed. And then it was as a result of getting the orders in, the numbers in that came from the solicitations that Todd McFarlane stated to you and Alan and Dave and Frank that I'm just going to give you guys all 100,000 bucks. Uh, is that correct? That was later. Initially, I just remember hearing from Terry Fitzgerald. I said, what are we, you know, this is really cool, this advance. What are we talking about? Do you think in terms of the final royalty? And he said, it looks like about $100,000. I think it was only after Alan Moore's issue was actually published that Todd turned around and just said, hey, I'm giving you guys $100,000 each. It was based on, again, uh, what you just explained about the process. Somewhere around the time that Alan's issue 8 was actually published and Spawn is published monthly. Is that correct? Yes-ish. Roughly. So by the time issue 8 hit the stands or the dedicated comic stores, solicitations have probably gone all the way through issue 11. Would that be correct? Yes. So at some point around that time. Yeah. Very close in time? Right about there. So right uh, around that time when Alan's has come out and yours is next to come out, Todd has got a pretty good understanding, as far as you know, about what the numbers are for these four issues uh, are going to be. Is that right? Definitely, yes. And he sees that they are all going to do great. Uh, some are a little better than others, but says, I'm just going to give you all 100000 bucks." Is that correct? Yes. And as far as you know, or as far as you knew at the time, you said you did the rough calculation based on what you would have expected to receive from DC Comics based on an issue that uh, sold like yours did, uh, like issue did, and figure that the $100,000 was about right. Is that correct? Yes. And then shortly after, Todd says, I'm going to give you all $100,000. Is that when issue nine was actually published? I don't recall. Sometime around the time yours was published, uh, Todd told everybody he was going to pay them $100,000. Does that sound right? Gaiman's lawyer. I'm just going to object for a second. He is not necessarily going to know what Todd told other people. He is going to know what Todd told him. So uh, just with that objection uh, there, a sort of clarification back to uh, Todd McFarlane's lawyer. I understand the objection. Let me ask you. Uh, did you not earlier testify that Todd told everybody he was going to give them $100,000? When I say everybody, I mean the four of you. Todd told me that he was. This was around publication as we were heading up into it, that he was going to give everybody $100,000 as a flat check and not try and calculate anything because Todd, and there would be no paperwork, it just made everything simpler to cut a $100,000 check. I know from conversation with Dave Sim that Dave got a $100,000 check for his issue. And you testified uh, before that you thought Dave Sim's issue took orders in around 800,000 number. Uh, is that correct? That is what Todd told me at the time. Uh, was there something else? I remember Todd explicitly saying that all of the the 1.1 million and the 800,000 excluded newsstand and that there would be more money to come once they got their newsstand figures in during that time, but I don't have recall of seeing another check, nor did he ever mention the newsstand stuff to me again. Is it your testimony that you did not receive any more checks or that you just don't uh, recall issue number nine? For issue nine, yes. I never received another check specifically for the sales of issue nine. Let me ask you this, and maybe uh, we could do it this way. I think we are very close here, but I 
think it will be very important to do it like this. Uh, can you tell me as you as you sit here today, uh, and I realize I'm asking you to go back to a point in which you reached the 1992 agreement and you've described in your complaint what uh, you understood the terms of the agreement to be, uh, what were you committing yourself to do in the 1992 agreement? I was going to write him a really good issue of Spawn. Was that it? Well, further than that, I was not being asked to sign anything away. He made it explicit this was not work for hire. Did Todd actually use those terms? He said, I'm not asking, you know, you don't sign. He said, you are not signing anything, but you are not signing anything away. Tell me. I don't know that he said anything specifically about work for hire, but I know it's not work for hire unless you sign a specific agreement to that effect. So I just want you, don't recall Todd using the words work for hire one way or the other. No. What exactly do you recall Todd saying uh, as close as you can remember to his words? And I realize it's going back a while, uh, but you've probably given a lot of thought in the last six, nine months uh, now with this lawsuit. It's certainly... Uh, been discussed a lot on websites, interviews, things like that. So to the extent uh, that that's helped you recall conversations you had back then. I don't understand what people discussing it on websites would have to do with our conversations. Well, from what I've seen on some of the documents uh, we've been produced and from what I've seen on your website, you've had some interviews and you've had other discussions, I think, on the website itself about what happened when you and Todd agreed to work together on Spawn Issue 9. Is that right? You would have to show me the interviews. We may do that in a few minutes. We may do that in a few minutes. I just got handed a stack of emails that were in response to your request that people send you emails about anything Todd may have said back uh, in that time. So my point is that, have you had the opportunity in the last six to, let me finish the question if I can. Have you had the opportunity in the last six to nine months uh, and that time frame may be a little fuzzy uh, to give some thought uh, to what took place back in 1992 between you and Todd. No more than I had previously, you know. It wasn't big and complicated. What was it, though? Uh, and you stated your agreement was in 1992, your obligation under the 1992 agreement uh, were to write a really good issue of Spawn. Is that correct? Yes. And nothing else. And that included not signing anything away. Is that correct? I don't see that not signing anything away was one of my obligations. Well, you were not asked uh, for any further obligations, such as signing away anything. Is that correct? Very explicitly, no. Yes. Wow. <laughs> uh, did you have any other obligations as you understood them in 1992 under your 1992 agreement? Obligations, further than writing a really good issue of Spawn at that point? That's my question. My obligations, no. What were, and I'm going to... Uh, we were going to talk about Todd and not Image Comics or, or not anybody else because, as you've already testified, Todd didn't really talk about uh, which hat he was wearing at the time. Is that correct? Uh-huh. As far as you knew, you were entering into an agreement with Todd. Is that right? Todd McFarlane? Yes. What did you understand when you uh, entered into the 1992 agreement, uh, Todd's obligations to you to be? I understood that if you liked the issue, he was going to draw it and print it. I understood that this was not work for hire. I understood that Todd would initially treat me very well, as he would kept saying, and later clarified into when I actually asked for a written contract, which I was very, which I would have liked. 
that no, I could trust him, but whatever happened, he would treat me better than DC. I understood that. I'm trying to think of other things specifically from Todd that he would have said at the time that I would have understood. What about financial obligations from Todd, uh, specific financial obligations from Todd to you? Well, at the point where we were talking money, I understood he would treat me better financially than DC ever would. Did you ever discuss with Todd uh, what that meant financially? Later, yes. Gaiman's lawyer, ever, question mark? McFarland's lawyer, no. When later? Let's start that way. We will rule that out. 1996. So in 1996, is it your testimony that that was the first time you talked with Todd specifically about the financial terms were back in 1992? There may have been a phone conversation in 95, but basically, yes. 1996, when I went out to Phoenix, was the first time we actually sat there and talked money. I was concerned that toys were coming out, the Angela toys specifically, that I was getting no money for, and they had either just published or about to publish the Angela trade paperback, the first one, and I was concerned there seemed to be no royalty provisions or anything and wanted to find out why I was no longer getting anything. And I was also concerned at that point that Todd might get... At that point, I still trusted Todd, and I was rather concerned that he might either sell to Mattel or get hit by a car or something, and that whoever took over from Todd would find no pieces of paper that had any kind of... that listed what my share of what I had created for him was. So prior to, if I understand correctly, prior to possibly 1995, maybe 1996, Prior to 1995 or 1996, uh, there was never anything in writing between you and Todd that discussed royalty calculations or any specific financial terms with respect to any of the work that you had uh, done for Todd to that point. Is that correct? True. And in 1992, when you were entering into the 1992 agreement, you and Todd never discussed the financial terms that you would upon which you were doing the agreement other than Todd saying he would treat you better than DC Comics. Is that correct? Yes. With one addition uh, that he actually sent you two $10,000 checks and then finished it off with an $80,000 check around the time or shortly after issue nine came out. Is that correct? Yes. Could we have a quick break? Sure. Short recess is taken and uh, I think that's another good place to leave this episode, Jimmy, uh, man, when they're doing that transcription, you see the stenographer doing their thing, right? And those hands are moving fast, and you can imagine trying to keep pace with somebody talking. Not very many commas <laughs> in these depositions, and it really feels like Bill O'Reilly will play us out. What does that mean? I don't know what that means, because like, it's a string of words that needs a little editing. It makes me think of uh, like whenever we do an interview and you know sometimes you do an interview it's text you know it's email or something and it reads totally different than whenever it's like you're going to record me and transcribe it but even that is usually edited so yeah. if you read like a comics journal interview they'll even have notes on the editing process there this feels unedited in that way right and uh, it does lead to some weird you know if, if we were trained actors or something maybe you look at this and you figure out how to deliver these lines <laughs> but some of them are, are uh, interesting <laughs> to read as transcribed here in this part man we finally got to the a word angela character that appeared in the HBO cartoon series, might have shown up cameo appearance at the very least in the Spawn movie. Haven't seen it since the thing came out. Did see it in the theaters. That's when I saw I it. also saw it in the theaters <laughs> and not since. <laughs> um, toys. Many toys. Cosmic Angela. Uh, the Angela miniseries that Neil Gaiman wrote, Greg Capolo drew, 
Uh, I don't know if we see that uh, on the on the racks any longer. I don't know if uh, that's a consequence of uh, of this this uh, sort of court case. That was my favorite game and story for a long time. <laughs> and we still haven't done an episode about it. <laughs> yeah, you got those issues. I do have those issues. Well, let's, let's do it one day. We should definitely break those out. It is interesting that they continue to work together. You know what I mean? Like this this deposition is about ten years after uh, Spawn Number Nine. And so there's so much happens in that 10-year span, doing more collaborative work with McFarlane, having Angela go through the, you know, kind of the licensing machine or marketing machine or whatever it is, but toys, TV, uh, all these different different outlets. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll get through that, you know, detailed analysis of all of those things that happen, but it is interesting that, like, they continue to work together. It's, it's very fruitful at first. Yeah, man. Uh, so I'm just looking ahead, and in our next part uh, of our deposition that we'll get to next week, man, uh, I'm immediately seeing the name Cogliostro. That's that little old man character that's the kind of interlocutor that is seen on the cartoon that uh, you see hanging around the uh, the dark alleyways who drops the science on Spawn to let them know who the heck he is. Yeah, I was going to say our exposition expert. I see the name Medieval Spawn. Uh, this ultimately leads to judges having to read 150 <laughs> issues of Spawn to figure out the difference between Dark Ages Spawn and Medieval Spawn. That's why you're seeing uh, Western Cowboy Spawn and not <laughs> and no more sword and sorcery, how Foster looking shit, man, because... That's hilarious. Because Neil Gaiman has some hand in that. Uh, so things are just ramping up. It's going to be very exciting. I think this is going to be a weekly... A weekly conversation, Jimmy. There's great stuff here. You know, like we end on the whole, um, as the toys start happening, uh, Gaiman wants a contract because what if McFarlane sells out to somebody or what if McFarlane dies? You know, like the, the, the need for these contracts isn't always, I don't trust you. It's like, who knows what happens in the future? You know, like you do this stuff to really just to protect yourself, you know, yeah. get everything in order. Like, let's spell it out. Let's, let's make it clear. And then if something happens to one of us, we know what happens. Yeah. Um, you can see how this stuff occurs. You know, it, it, it's a very organic process uh, and, and time marches on. So before you know it, you're three years into this relationship. You know, they're talking about 95, 96 and still not having these terms defined anywhere. Fascinating, too, that like it was big business, 1996, uh, pre-internet in any important enough way that this work could be done over Zoom or Skype or something where your cameras are both up and you're presenting the documents you got to fly to freaking arizona and it's worth that expense because we're talking about millions of dollars potentially yeah i was trying to figure out like uh in in this process as we get to like 95 96 mcfarland's bought baseballs for millions of dollars like if you're on the guy on the outside and you're saying i've gotten a hundred thousand dollars so far from this but meanwhile the other dude is buying baseballs for three million dollars we listen. You can't not notice that we listen to these uh, these wrestling podcasts and things. And like one of the the famous pieces that that you hear all the time, Jim Cornette and Rock and Roll Express, all that stuff. Mm. One of the things that got them attracted to come over to Marvel was, uh, I mean, Marvel to come over to to uh, WWF was uh, Iron Sheik's first royalty check on his toy was eighty thousand dollars. So this is not uh, this is not insignificant money. Yes, absolutely. At, at hand here, man. Uh, so we're going to be getting deeper in the weeds, man. With what did Neil Gaiman create? You know, this is a character from hell. Is it logical that there would be a battle against 
angels. There is, but also like do your list of like what are the most popular Spawn characters. Well, Spawn, obviously, I think we can all agree is number one. What's number two? Sure. You know, I mean, Angela's up there pretty high in that Spawn hierarchy of like popular characters, good looking characters, what you can make a cartoon or an action figure out of. Like, it's not like this isn't Spider-Man's rogues gallery running around Spawn. This is the whole argument. This is the Stan Lee, Jack Kirby thing all over again. It is. And, it we, is. and we have actual testimony to see how they get to some truth, some fact of the matter. Yeah, it's really neat to frame it that way. Till next time, kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell, we'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jimmy? Join me on patreon.com slash jimrug. You can download out-of-print zines and mini-comics. You can see my original art, scripts, process, layouts, how I make the comics I make, like Street Angel, Deadly Girl Live, Plain Jane's, Octobriana, and a lot more at patreon.com slash jimrug. Red Room, the anti-social network, trade paperback in uh, stores as we speak. I'm 25 pages away from finishing the second book collection, Jimmy. I'm serializing that work on my Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor. Go to the links in my link tree in the description below this video. You can buy the Red Room comics. You could pre-order the forthcoming Red Room comics. It's all there in that link tree. What else do we have? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Given those merchant orders, man, we're going to be on our way. Make more comics. And stay out of freaking legal trouble, goddammit. <laughs> yes. <laughs>